There in Ephesians it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace which He has freely given us in the one He loves. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And He made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In Him we are also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are our God, you are our Savior, you are our Redeemer. We think of the stories in the Gospels when you would sit down on the mountainside and the crowds would gather around you to hear your teaching and to receive your healing and to, to see changes in their lives. Lord, we gather this morning around you. We pray that you might sit here in our midst, that you might teach us, that you might heal us, that you might feed us. We believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of your word, you are present among your people, that you might walk up and down the aisles, that you might sit in the pews with us. Lord, for those of us who have come with brokenness in our hearts today, with sorrow, with grief, that as we sang this morning, we might trade that over for the joy of salvation and the joy that you give. Lord, I pray for uh, those of us who've come needing freedom from some sort of entrapment or bondage, Lord, that you would set us free. And God, that all of us today might have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. Lord Jesus, reveal your love to us. Because we confess, unless you do it, we won't see it. We'll miss it completely. So Lord, we come eagerly waiting to hear what you will say to us and to see what you'll do in our midst. Lord, heal, redeem, set free, forgive and save. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you who are with us for the first time this Sunday, we're really glad you're here. We're in the middle of a sermon series in the book of Ephesians. Actually, near the beginning of the sermon series. And uh, we're looking at our blessings in Christ. If you look back at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, and here's the phrase, blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. To be a Christian means to be drowned, buried, totally immersed in blessing. The Christian life is the happiest most blessed, most wonderful life possible. In fact, to live without Christ is not really to know life at all. It's an undead sort of existence. To know Christ is to know life because He is life. Trying to do life without Jesus is trying to like uh, do a party without any food or people or music. There's nothing. Christ is life. And so we are unpacking the blessings that we have in Christ. 
Uh, you say, well, what blessings? What's so great about knowing Jesus? Well, uh, that's what verses 4 through 14 are in Ephesians chapter 1. They are a list of the blessings. In fact, we talked about this before. In Greek, uh, this is just one sentence. In English, it's broken up in a bunch of sentences. But in Greek, verses 3 to 14 is just one gangly, monstrous sentence. As Paul just sort of takes a deep breath and goes on and on about the blessings. Oh, and we have this, and we have this, and we have this. And he, he lists it verse after verse. And so what we've been doing the past couple Sundays, just to sort of bring, bring you up to speed if you're new with us, looking at each of these blessings in Christ to see what it is we really have in Christ and who we really are. Why we can sing you know, these songs like we sang this morning with exuberance. Where does that come from? It comes from the joy we have in Christ. So if you want to take out your sermon notes, uh, if you've got a bulletin this morning, this little white insert looks like this. You can take that out, follow along with us. There at the top are some of the blessings we've studied thus far. Remember, several weeks back we uh, looked at the blessing of predestination. I hope you understand it now as a blessing <laughs> and not just as an enigma. Uh, we are freely predestined. God chose us not based on anything in us so that we know His love for us rests upon His own pleasure, not upon our ability to keep up with His love and to, to earn His love. Secondly, we looked at the uh, blessing of being holy and blameless in His sight two weeks ago. That when God sees me in Christ, He sees a saint. That saints aren't some people who've done a really good job at the Christian life. Saints are Christians. Anyone who's a Christian is a saint. We are holy and blameless before God. And then last week, Seth preached and he talked about the blessing of adoption that we've been included into God's family who were once God's enemies. But today I want to look at a fourth blessing. It is the blessing of, number four, redemption. Redemption. <clears throat> we should probably define redemption because that's one of those churchy words, isn't it? You know, redemption. Everyone goes, oh yeah, redemption. But you know, like, what is redemption? Sort of like revival or repentance or hosanna. You know, you kind of hear these words in church and you go, oh yeah, mm -hmm. you know, what does it mean? It's not really a word that we use. I suppose people redeem scratch tickets, but beyond that, we don't really use that in our regular lives. So, you know, what is redemption? Well, if, if I could sum up the idea of biblical redemption, and you can maybe take notes and put in that little box there, here's how I would define redemption. Redemption is freedom from bondage. That's redemption. Freedom from bondage. It's a person who's trapped in some situation and then gets cut loose, and they're free. Oftentimes in the Bible, the idea of redemption carries with it the idea of paying a ransom so that some price is paid so that the person can go free. But the core idea of redemption is a person who's trapped, can't get out, and they go free. <clears throat> some examples from the Old Testament, if you look there in the sermon notes, uh, the redemption of POWs. In the ancient world, if you wanted to make some money, a good way to do it would be to win a battle. Uh, winning a battle was very lucrative. If you defeated another army in battle, you not only got to pick the pockets of the dead, you not only got to go through their camp and plunder and pillage, you not only got to go to the surrounding villages they were protecting and loot their villages, you also got to take the POWs and hold them hostage. And then you, you, know, you send out letters and you say, hey, if you want your loved ones back, this is the price. It's you know, six goats and, and a shekel of silver or whatever it was. So, so winning a battle was very lucrative in the ancient world. And one of the things you do is you ransomed hostages. So that when a hostage was ransomed, that person was redeemed, and they got to go free. Or if you look at the life of Israel, uh, you had the, the situation of slavery in Israel. You had indentured servitude, is what it was. Uh, not chattel slavery, but indentured servitude. 
Uh, look at Leviticus 25. It's there in your notes. If an alien or temporary resident among you becomes rich and one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells himself to the alien living among you or to a member of the alien's clan, he retains the right of redemption after he has sold himself. One of his relatives may redeem him. An uncle or a cousin or any blood relative in his clan may redeem him. Or if he prospers, he may redeem himself. So again, a person's in slavery, indentured servitude. They couldn't pay their debts. They're working off their debts. But if they can come up with the money or some of their relatives can come up with the money, they can spring them from uh, being imprisoned as a slave. Or if you look on the back, just one more example of redemption. Perhaps the most grand idea of redemption in the Old Testament is that God redeemed Israel from Egypt. Look at the uh, second page about halfway down, Exodus 6.6. I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So the two ideas, freeing you from being slaves and being redeemed, are parallel ideas, and they explain one another. So again, redemption is being set free from slavery. So if we look back at our text, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, this is our verse for this morning. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. If you are a Christian, you have been redeemed. You know, when I was thinking about this idea of redemption, the, the image that came to my mind was from one of my favorite movies, uh, uh, The Shawshank Redemption. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It was written by uh, a rather uh, warped fellow, Stephen King. But it's a really good movie. Um, and it's about a guy who's unjustly imprisoned for over a decade in a, a prison up in Maine. Something he didn't do, but he gets thrown in jail. And the, uh, the prison warden is a very diabolical character, definitely the Satan figure. And this guy is definitely sort of the Christ figure in the story unjustly imprisoned and, and it's a story of how he escapes from jail so you know if you haven't seen it I pretty much just ruined it for you but uh, he does it uh, at the end of the movie he escapes from prison and this there's this incredible scene where he gets to climb through this uh, sewer pipe and he finally gets out of the jail he's finally outside falls out of the pipe into a river and it's night it's raining the rain is pouring down the lightning is flashing and he he comes out and he rips off his shirt because it's covered with all the junk and he just sort of staggers out into the rain, and the camera angle is really cool. It's sort of like looking down on him, and then it's panning away slowly, and it's just a picture of him standing in the rain, you know, like this, just soaking in the freedom that he has. You know, finally he's breathing free air, and, and the fresh rain of freedom is falling on his face. And that is what we have in Christ. If you are a Christian, you can stand under heaven, stand before God, and lift up your hands and know that He has freed you and redeemed you. Because in Him, verse 7, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace, grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. To be a Christian is to be redeemed. So that's what redemption is. Now what I'd like to do is just kind of uh, spin out what that means a little bit more. That's the core idea of redemption. But, but we need to explore it a little bit more. And so what I uh, prepared are three basic, simple questions to ask about redemption. If you look at your sermon notes, they're right there. Question number one, who has redeemed us? If we're redeemed, who, who's the, the one who rescued us? Question number two, from what have we been redeemed? 
Yeah, great, we're redeemed, but I, you know, I didn't know I was a slave. <laughs> what am I saved from? And then on the back, the third question, what ransom was paid for our redemption? So there you go, there's your three-point sermon. Who has redeemed us? From what have we been redeemed? And what was the ransom paid for our redemption? And I just want to answer those questions, and uh, that's it. So number one, who has redeemed us? I hope you can answer that one. <laughs> Jesus, of course. Jesus has redeemed us. If you look there on the next page of the sermon notes, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Galatians 4.4-5, 4, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Christ is the Redeemer. And if we look back at our text in verse 7, it says, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption. Christ is the rescuer. Christ is the hero who comes in and rescues the people who can't save themselves. I was talking about this idea with the, uh, the men this Monday at our third Monday men's ministry. We have a monthly men's ministry at the church. A lot of different churches get together and we talk about uh, issues related to being a, a man and trying to be a godly man. And uh, uh, we're sort of discussing uh, this issue as it relates to 12-step programs. I don't know if any of you have been in a 12-step program or know someone who has. Um, uh, and we're talking about some of the strengths and weaknesses of the 12-step program. Uh, just so you know where I'm coming from, I'm not anti-12-step. I think it has a lot of strengths. I mean, hey, people get sober. Praise the Lord. Uh, and I think one of the, the good things that 12-step does is it makes people face their problems, whereas normally they'd want to hide it and cover it up. You know, you have to do this, what's it called, a fearless moral inventory. And I think there's some, you know, unbelievers in 12-step in programs who are doing a more fearless moral inventory than some of us Christians sitting in the pews sometimes, because they have to get down and dig around in that stuff. And so there's strengths to it, but there's also weaknesses. And I think one of the glaring weaknesses, at least from a Christian perspective, is that you're only uh, asked to call upon a higher power, Right? Which, I suppose if you're an atheist, going from atheist to higher power is a good step. But, but, you know, it's not enough. Because a higher power isn't enough to save you. It is Christ who is our Redeemer. Jesus Christ. You have to name the name of Jesus. I heard about a guy who was in a 12-step program uh, who didn't really believe in God, and, and so he had to pick a higher power because, well, you know, it's one of the steps. And so he picked a moose. You know, that was his... You know, uh, you know, break for moose, it could save your life. That whole, you know, one of those. He picked a big moose, and that, that was it. He said, you know, when I had to think of a higher power, I'd think of a moose. So, you know, I suppose. Uh, but, but, man, we need something more than a moose. <laughs> we need Jesus. He is the only one who can redeem us. There is power in his name. That's why we're so fixated on Jesus Christ as Christians. Christianity is, is more than about love. It's the love of Jesus. It's more than, than about freedom. It's the freedom that Jesus can give. And so when Jesus walked this earth, He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. So we need a Redeemer. We need a kinsman to rescue us from slavery. We need a new Moses to lead us out of Egypt. And that new Moses is none other than Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's what He claimed to be. That's who He is. But then that leads to a second question. From what have we been redeemed? Now that's an important question. I think that's maybe a trickier question because I suspect that if you went to 
people you work with or people you go to school with or live next door to you tomorrow morning and you said, you know, I was in church and I, and I learned on Sunday that Jesus can set you free. I suspect most people would say, free from what? <laughs> like, I'm an American. I'm protected. You know, what do you mean I have to be set free? Like, what are you talking about? Interestingly, that's the exact response that the Jews gave Jesus in Jesus' day. In John chapter 8, Jesus came to the Jews and he was preaching to them and he said, uh, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And you know what their response was? We are free. We're the children of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you tell us that we need to be set free? And do you remember what his answer was? Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. No matter whether you're an American or a Parisian or a Russian or wherever you're from, whatever your background is, if you're a human, you are enslaved to sin. So that's question number two. From what have we been redeemed? And the answer is sin. When we think of sin, if, if we ever think of it, we typically think of it as uh, sort of doing something naughty. You know, we, we did something bad, we broke a rule, I told a lie. Uh, you know, that's how sin is. It's sort of this uh, atomized action over here that I did. But it's not the biblical view of sin. The biblical view of sin is, is a powerful force. So that when I enter into sin, it, it sucks me in. It's kind of like a black hole. And once you come within the gravitational well of a, a black hole, you're trapped and it just pulls you right in. And that's how sin is. It has an enslaving character to it. It has a, uh, it reaches out, you reach out and grab it, and then it reaches out and grabs you and pulls you in. And so we become slaves to sin. And as human beings, we sin instinctively. But Christ has come to set us free from sin. That's, that's our Egypt. That's the slavery in which we find ourselves. And just to kind of play out that idea a little bit more, I have three ways there on the sermon notes that Jesus liberates us from sin. Number one, he liberates us from the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin. We no longer have to bear the consequences, the, uh, the, the court order for our guilt. The penalty has been forgiven. That's what we find here in the text. In him we have redemption through his blood, comma, the forgiveness of sins. So that the forgiveness of sins, grammatically speaking, is in apposition to redemption through his blood. In other words, they, they mutually interpret each other. What does it mean to be redeemed? Well, one of the things it means is to have your sins forgiven. So that before God, I am now clean and forgiven. I am a holy person before God. God's look, God looks at my uh, rap sheet and he washes it clean. So that in God's eyes, I'm innocent, even though I know I'm not innocent. God has forgiven my sins. I'm free from the penalty. So now there's no longer anything that, that's going to happen to me. God is not out to judge me anymore because he has forgiven me. I've been set free from the penalty of sin. I heard it described this one. Imagine there's a, a huge ocean liner filled with people, and that ocean liner is slowly sinking out in the middle of the ocean. You know, hit an iceberg or a whale or something. And it's slowly, you know, going under. Uh, but the captain of this ocean liner, rather than being a, a nice guy, he's, he's a diabolical fellow. And he, instead of telling people, the ship is sinking, get to the ships, he, he, he says this, he says, all right, everybody, you can do whatever you want on the ship. Those of you in third class, you can go up to first class. You can uh, come up to the captain's quarters and, and trash it if you want. You can go up and drive the ship around if you want. You can climb up on the rigging. You can go in and eat all you want from the buffets, and you can drink whatever you want from the bar. You can dance on the tables. We don't care. Go crazy. And everyone says, woo, this is a great cruise, you know. 
yeah, this is the hedonism cruise. We're going wild. And people are running around just having a good time. But the ship is sinking. <laughs> and that is the freedom that the world offers to us. When the world says you can be free and you have freedom, it's the freedom of people going wild on a sinking ship. Satan says, yeah, do whatever you want, you know? Eat what you want, drink what you want, smoke what you want, live how you want. It doesn't matter. Just have fun. Don't let anyone tell you you can't. And that's freedom. And people today say, oh, that's freedom. Freedom to do whatever I want. But the ship is sinking. God's judgment is coming upon this world because of sin. The whole thing is going under. What kind of freedom is that? To do what you want on a sinking ship? So of course Satan keeps us thinking, oh yeah, I need to do what I want. I need to have what I want. That keeps us blind to the fact that the ship is slowly starting to list and to tilt. And so Christ comes, you know, his little rowboat, and, and get off the ship. <laughs> Come to me. I can redeem you. And so some pack up their bags and they're leaving the ship. People are saying, oh, why are you leaving the ship? The party's just getting going. You know, what are you, a Puritan? What are you, a prude? You know, you Christians don't have any fun. And we're like, we're just trying to get off the ship. <laughs> we just want to be saved. Because we know the judgment of God is coming upon this world. The judgment of God is the, is the penalty of sin. But praise God, He has shown us a way off in Jesus Christ. There is freedom as the world defines it. Then there's freedom as God defines it, which is freedom from judgment. Freedom from, if I can even say it, hell. Freedom forever. And so, the question you have to ask yourself is, what ship are you on? You know, and don't straddle the ships, because that won't last too good, because eventually they'll move apart and it'll be the same thing. So, you pick a ship. One of the two. Come to Christ. Have the, your sins forgiven. Because Christ's judgment. But number two, he also came to save us from the power of sin. As we said, sin is more than just doing something naughty. It's, it's a, a, a force. It's, it's a gravity that, that sucks us in, that we need to be set free. Uh, I was talking to a high school student a couple years ago, and we were talking about school and trying to be a Christian in the high school and, and how tough that is. And somehow we got onto the, I don't know how we got on the topic of drugs, and and this, this student was interesting. Uh, she made an interesting comment. She said, you know, there's two types of kids who smoke pot in high school. There's kids who smoke pot and they're like, oh, it's so cool, I smoke pot. And she goes, those are the kids who just started. And she said, then there's other kids who smoke pot in high school and, and they're like, yeah, I do that. And, you know, it's something I do. Yeah, it's no big deal. She said, those are the kids who've been doing it for a long time. There's something that happens with sin where it's cool at first, but then you just find yourself in it and it's hard to shake it off. And you say, no, I, I want to do it. But you know, could you really be free from it? Sin has a power. It is, has an enslaving, ensnaring sort of gravity that sucks us in. But the good news is that Christ has come as our Redeemer. He not only sets us free from the penalty of sin so that we're clean and forgiven, but as Christians, He breaks the power of sin in our lives. So that as Christians, we no longer have to sin. Before I was a Christian, I was a puppet. I mean, I was a puppet. I did whatever the world wanted me to do. I followed the cravings of my sinful nature. But now in Christ, I've been set free. There's a new power at work in me called the Holy Spirit that strengthens me to resist the temptations and the desires to sin. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Let's flip over a couple chapters. One of the coolest parts of Ephesians. Most commentators agree this is the coolest part of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, 6.10, 
Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, here it is, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. I couldn't stand before. I didn't even know there was a battle. But now, in Christ, I can stand my ground through His power. I don't have to live the way I used to live. There is power in Jesus Christ to stand your ground against drugs and alcohol. You can be free from it in Christ. Will He heal you like that? Well, actually, sometimes, yes. <laughs> and so, Not always, but sometimes, yes. But even if He doesn't heal you like that, you can stand your ground in His strength. God can give you strength and power to stand your ground against that nasty temper that you have. <laughs> it's always blowing up. God can strengthen you to resist it. God can strengthen you to stand your ground against that tendency you have to be negative and critical and always tearing everything down. God can give us power to stand our ground against lust or greed or, or whatever. You, know, you name the sin. There's now power to fight back. We have a fighting chance in Jesus Christ because the power of sin has been broken. The penalty of sin, we're free from that. The power of sin, we're being freed from that. Justification, sanctification. But then finally, the third P, Jesus has liberated us from the presence of sin. Or rather, He will liberate us from the presence of sin. Look back at our text. Look at Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 14, Paul talks about the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So there's a sense in which we're redeemed now, but we're going to be redeemed in the future. Or if you look at Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I thought I was redeemed. You are. But there's still a day of redemption coming. And on that day, we shall be free at last, free at last. Because we'll no longer have to battle. Today, as a Christian, you are in a war. You are fighting against sin. You are fighting to follow God. And if you don't think you're in a war, it means you're probably losing the war. We have to realize we are in a war. Every day for a Christian is in the field. It's, it's at sword points with the enemy. But that day, we will go in and rest in our tents. Every day for the Christian is a battle. And even when I win a victory in this world, Satan is always counterattacking. You know? And so I have this temptation to say something really rude, but I bite my tongue, I want to obey God. Yeah, I won a victory. Woohoo! And Satan goes, boy, what a great job you did. Boy, you're doing great, aren't you? And I go, yeah, yeah, I'm doing great. Oh, I lost! You know? It's just relentless. Satan is so devious. And this battle will be over, and we will rest because we will be free from the presence of of sin forever. And to guarantee it, God has given us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our, our ticket guaranteeing that it will happen so that even when we feel down and defeated and we feel like we've blown it and we have just totally failed God, the Holy Spirit within us begins to speak and stir up hope to remind us that the day of redemption is coming. 
To be a Christian means to be redeemed, to stand underneath heaven, to let the fresh rain of freedom fall upon us, to breathe in the fresh air of freedom. It means that we have been redeemed from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. And now quickly to our last question. Number one was, who has redeemed us? Jesus. Question number two, from what have we been redeemed? Sin. And question number three, what was the ransom paid for our redemption? And the answer to the third question is the same as the answer to the first question. The answer to the third question is also Jesus. Look back at our text. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. In other words, He gave His own life. The blood is the symbol of the life. He died for us. And it is through His death on the cross that we have been set free. That God didn't redeem us with, with something paltry or small. He redeemed us with the precious blood of His own Son. That's how huge God's love is for you. That to rescue you from your rebellion against God, He sent God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, became a human being and died on a cross so that you could be set free. Like Bob and Tammy were singing about here, going to that place where we can be forgiven and set free. It's through the blood of Christ. That was the ransom paid to free us from being held hostage to sin, death, and the devil. Christ has set us free by His own blood. There's a story told of uh, John Wesley, the great 18th century evangelist in England. And one day he was uh, riding to a, a meeting. It was night. He was riding along uh, Hounslow Heath. And from the bushes he heard a voice say, Halt! And he stopped his horse. And a man came out and he said, Your money or your life? And so Wesley pulled out a few you know, what money he had and handed it over to the guy. And, you know, is that all you have? Well, you can check my bags. And the guy checked his saddlebags and they were just full of books. You know, and so the, the thief was very disappointed and he started going off in the bushes. And Wesley said, wait, I have something else for you. And so it's sort of odd. And so the thief turns around and he says, someday you may regret the life that you have chosen. And on that day when you do, I want you to remember this. The blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. And then the man went away, and Wesley went in his way. Well, many years later, when Wesley was an uh, old man and he was preaching at a church in a Sunday evening service, the service was getting us were standing to talk to him, and he was very famous by that time. And there was one man at the door. It was the thief. But he was no longer a thief. He was uh, a businessman in the town who had done well, who had given up his thieving days, and who had come to Christ. And as the story goes, he took Wesley's hand and he kissed it. And he says, I owe you everything. Because the blood of Christ cleanses from all sin. It is the ransom paid to free us from the penalty, power, and presence of sin. And so my question this morning is, have you been set free by the blood of Christ? And if you have, are you delving into it? Let's pray. If you've never given your life to Christ and you'd like to know the freedom that He offers... He is standing here in this room with us through the power of the Holy Spirit with His arms wide open. The nail marks are still there. The nail marks are still in His feet. But He is risen and, and He stands with His arms wide open ready to embrace any sinners who will come to Him. And so if you'd like to come to Christ, I'd invite you just to pray this simple prayer. God, I know that I am a sinner. 
But Jesus, I believe that You died on the cross to ransom me from captivity. Lord, forgive me of my sins and set me free. Amen.